Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. Jesus Christ lives. He was put on trial. And though he was innocent, even declared innocent by Pontius Pilate, he was sentenced to death. Jesus died the death of a criminal, criminal, the death of an enemy of the state, death by crucifixion. But it's there on the cross, shrouded within the darkness of injustice and suffering and defeat and death, that the light of God's love shines clearly, brightly. A selfless, sacrificial love, love in action that pierces through the darkness. For Jesus' death was for you. Through it, he removes your sin. Through it, he cleanses you of sin and opens the way for you to the Father. Sin, your sin, creates a barrier. It creates a, a wall between you and God. For God is holy and cannot abide sin. But through the cross, Jesus tears down the wall. And you now have access to the Lord. You have access to the giver of life, the maker of heaven and earth. You can enter into his presence and you can do so by faith. Faith in the one who hung on the cross in darkness. Faith in the one who shines the light of his love from the cross. Turn from your sin. Repent. Turn to him. And you can enter into his presence forever because the one who died now lives. Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. And you can follow him through death into eternal life, through death into the presence of the eternal God, where Jesus is now, ascended at the right hand of the Father, reigning in power, ruling in might, having all authority in heaven and on earth, interceding for you now. Christianity is not a dead faith. And we gather here together every Sunday because of a living Lord. We worship a living Lord, a, a living Lord who makes you alive. And this living Lord will come again. And we confess this truth weekly. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. It's also a prayer that's among the last words of the Bible at the end of the book of Revelation. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. For it is truth. Jesus will come again. He will come again to complete his kingdom. He will come again to judge. He will come again to make things right. He will come again to make things new. Now, people of faith hear this promise in different ways. Followers of Jesus react to this future in different ways. In fact, you may hear it, react to it differently than those who are sitting around you this morning. And, and here's what I mean. Here's, here's an example. 
If you are a Christian living in eastern Pakistan and you had your church burned and your home burned and you live in fear for the safety of your family and you're afraid to openly gather with other believers, you hear this promise in a much different way than a Christian living in Jackson, Mississippi or Flowood or Madison or Brandon. The oppressed church, the persecuted church, hears the promise with hope and longing. Yes, come, Lord Jesus. Complete your kingdom. Make things new. Make things right. And do it now. Come now. Right away. Judge now. Right away. Now, where the church is blessed by peace and safety and prosperity, this church also hears the promise with hope and assurance. Yes, come, Lord Jesus, complete your kingdom, make things new, make things right. But it doesn't have to be right now. I mean, it can be but next year's fine too. Even five or 10 years is okay. Well, the promise that Jesus will return gives hope. It gives assurance that no matter what is going on in the world, no matter what is going on in your world, no matter how much suffering you endure, no matter how much suffering is in the world, no matter how much it seems that the wicked prosper and injustice rules the day, no matter how much evil is celebrated, Jesus is going to make things right. Jesus is going to make all things new. But the fervor in which you confess this article, the intensity in which you pray, come Lord Jesus, may depend upon your particular situation. The circumstances that you live in. But it doesn't have to be. Because we are united with our brothers and sisters who pray this with urgency and need and longing. We are united by faith to the persecuted church in Pakistan. And so we must confess fervently and pray passionately, if not for us, then for them and others who are in similar situations around the world. Come, Lord Jesus. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Our New Testament reading was from 2 Peter. Peter, the apostle Peter, closest follower of Jesus, was writing in this second letter a church or a group of churches in what is now eastern Turkey. False teachers had come to that church and they were teaching that Jesus would not come again. Even in the first century, only years, only decades removed from Jesus' resurrection and his ascension into heaven, they wondered why he had not yet come back. He promised to return. Where was he? What was taking so long? But these false teachers said the reason that he has not come back is that he's not coming back. Life is just going to keep on going, going on just as it is now. 
And, and Peter tells this church, no, 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 no. Do not listen to these mockers. Do not listen to these scoffers. They're, they're wrong. You are forgetting something. And quoting Psalm 90, Peter writes this, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. Time is different with the one who created time. I mean, sometimes uh, uh, for us, an hour seems to take an age. Sometimes for us, a, a decade seems like forever. Uh, but for God, a millennium is like a day. And a day is like a millennium. He is above time. He's not bound by time. And therefore, his perspective on time is different from ours. So Peter, Peter assures this church, and he's, he, he assures us that God is not being slow to deliver his promise, nor is God delaying his promise. He's working out his purpose. He's working out his plan. He's working out his will in his time, his perfect time. In fact, Peter says it's not slowness, it's patience, patience. Listen to part, part of uh, verse 9, again, from our second Peter reading. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God, God is withholding coming, God is withholding judgment, for repentance sake, so that those who do not know him, those who are separated from him by sin, might hear the gospel. Might hear the gospel before he comes. Might come to faith in Jesus. Might come to faith in the living Lord and, and, and turn from their sin. Repent. The fact that Jesus has not yet returned is not a delay. The fact that Jesus has not yet returned is not that God has forgotten his promise. It's grace. It's grace. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Those words were from our assurance of pardon today from Psalm 103. Jesus will come again. And, and Peter writes that that day, the day of the Lord, will come like a thief, which means unannounced, unexpected, without any warning. It means it could be at any time, which means no one knows the time. No one knows when it will be. No one knows when Jesus will come back. Now, now, down through the centuries, many have claimed that they knew the day. Down through the centuries, many have claimed that at least they knew the year. Down through the centuries, many have claimed that they at least knew the generation when the Lord would return. And they were all wrong. So even today, if you hear of any teachers, if you hear of any pastors who think that they know the day, who think that they know the year, who think that they know the generation of when Jesus is coming, don't listen. 
because they don't. No. He'll come like a thief. But when he does come, when the Lord does return like a thief, he will come high and exalted. He will come in power. He will come in might. He will come in majesty. Our Old Testament lesson was from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. And in our reading, the prophet foretells the return of Jesus. Listen again to verse 13. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Daniel receives this vision, and in this vision, he sees one like a son of man who comes in the clouds, who comes in glory. And when he comes, he comes to the Ancient of Days, to the Lord, and the Lord gives him everlasting dominion. The Lord gives him an everlasting kingdom. He comes in power and might and majesty. Well, Peter describes his return, his coming in power and might and majesty. He, he describes it with cataclysmic cosmic imagery, upheaval, destruction. He writes that the, the, the heavens will pass away and they'll pass away with a great roar. The heavenly bodies, the planets, the, the stars will burn up. They'll, they'll dissolve. The earth will be exposed, laid bare, as will all the deeds done upon it. For the Lord comes to judge. He comes to judge the living and the dead. Now, older versions of, of the creed use the word quick. He comes to judge the quick and the dead. This old English word quick just means living, not fast, just living meaning Jesus will judge those who are alive when he returns, as well as those who have already died. He will judge those who are alive when he returns, as well as all those who have ever lived and died. For when he comes, all will be raised from the dead. All will be resurrected. All will come before the divine judge. All will come before this judge, the one who is dead and now lives, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the one who holds the keys of death and Hades. And all, all deeds, all works, whether done in light or darkness, whether done in open fields or closed door, will be laid bare, will be exposed. And whatever that might look like, Whatever that might look like, ultimately, this judgment is not about weighing good and bad deeds. This judgment is not separating those who had more good deeds than they did bad deeds. This judgment is about Jesus. Because there will be a separation, but one centered upon him, centered upon the Son of God. Those who belong to this judge by faith, those who claim him as Lord and Savior, those who turn to him in faith and turn from their sin, those who are marked in baptism and fed by the bread of life, they will inherit the kingdom. They will inherit eternal life. They will enter a new heaven and a new earth that God will bring forth 
Now, on, on the other hand, on the other hand, those who in life did not turn to Jesus in faith, those who in life did not turn from their sin and turn to him, those who in life rejected him, they will depart into eternal fire. In verse 11 of our passage, Peter asked the churches he was writing to, and Peter asks you, since all this will be, since all this will happen, what sort of people ought you to be? Knowing this, knowing this truth, confessing this truth, praying for this, then how should you live, he asks. How should you conduct your lives? And this is the answer that he gives. In holiness and godliness. Holiness and godliness. In other words, your life should reflect God. Your life should reflect God. God is holy. If you're living in holiness, then you're reflecting a holy God. If you're living godliness, then you're reflecting the, the character of God, which, which means your life should reflect the love shining from the cross. Your life should reflect the love that has pierced the darkness. Your life should reflect the love that pierced your darkness. Namely, a selfless, sacrificial love. A love in action where you're not focused on you, where you're not centered on you, but, but rather outside of yourself, where you are focused on and centered on God. Loving him and serving him and honoring him in all that you do. And where you're focused on your neighbor those who are around you. And you're, you're, you're living at reflecting this love means that you're, you're, you're going to be living out the fruits of the Spirit. Because the fruits of the Spirit are reflecting God. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, because these fruits come from God and are given by God to you to live. They're holy, they're godly. which means different. All this is different. Living outside of yourself is different. Living the fruits of the Spirit is different because it's countercultural. We live in a self-focused, self-centered, self-absorbed society, and Christianity is not. But since it's different, it also means you might be noticed. Since it's different, someone around you might pay attention. Since it's different, someone might notice that you're living differently and reacting differently and treating people differently, and you may have an opportunity to say why. You may have an opportunity to point to your Savior who is alive who loves you, who transformed you, the, the one whose love that you're trying to reflect in your life and live out in your life. The Lord is patient, but he will return. 
in the meantime, in between time, living in holiness and living in godliness is being ready. Living in holiness and living in godliness is being prepared for the thief to come. But that coming should also fill you with joy and longing and hope because when he comes, whether it's today or tomorrow, when he comes, whether it's next year or 20 years, when he comes, whether it's 100 years or 1,000 years, whether you're dead or alive, you will meet the one who saved you. You will meet the one who gave his life for you. You will meet the one you worship, the one you serve. You will meet the one whose love you are to reflect in your life. Jesus Christ. He will come to judge the living and the dead. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 